It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Well, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm, of course, your co-host, Shri, and I'm joined today by my other co-host, Brian, the founder and CEO of Confluence Commerce and host of the Gildenberg Omni Comment right here and now also a partner in retail cities. Brian, my friend, welcome. I feel like I just saw you 24 hours ago. How are you doing? It's, it's like we just saw each other yesterday, Shri. We'll, we'll, always, have, we'll, we'll, we'll always have Midtown. It's, uh, it's our... Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to explain to my wife, Brian, why we couldn't have proper brunch and why it had to be at a deli first thing in the morning. She's like, New York City is 5,000 places. I'm like, not in FIDI. Anyway, before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience to visit cpgguys.com where they, you can find links to our podcast on all the major podcast platforms of your choice. 
And if you're not already doing so, do follow us on LinkedIn where we publish new comments each and every day of the week, even on the weekends, that's seven days a week of content. Please also subscribe to the other podcasts in our collective, including the FMCG Guys, CPG Scoop, and the new edition, CPG Guys Fast Forward, starring our very own Brian Gildenberg. And we're also proud to be sponsors of Next Up, formerly Network of Executive Women, whose mission is to advance all women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. If you're a female founder or do not have a sponsorship through your organization, please let us know by dropping us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, that's contact at cpgguys.com. And we're happy to sponsor your membership to this elite organization. Also excited that this episode's focus will be a female co-CEO, actual Veggies' co-CEO, Haley Schwartz. The digital liner notes of this podcast will contain hyperlinks to our site, the other collective podcast sites, our LinkedIn page, and our landing page on the next website. So, Brian, you ready to go, man? I am ready to go. I'm fascinated to hear about uh, what's happening in the world of non-meat meat. So, uh... <laughs> I'm thrilled to bring you to the world of vegetarianism. Finally, I get I get the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that's that, that's true, Shay. That's the only reason we're doing this podcast. Is when you want to talk about food you can eat for an hour. It's my chance to do Empire Strikes Back. That's what it's about. As opposed to me dragging you to yet another steakhouse. <laughs> there we go. The CPG guys have been clear on our male allyship and leadership in gender equality. I just mentioned a little while ago that we'll be giving out 50 memberships to Next Up all year. Actual veggies is near and dear to my heart as a vegetarian. On top of that, as I just mentioned, it is truly the Empire Strikes Back. As a guy who's barbecue, who barbecues all the time living in Los Angeles, this all-star lineup of veggie burgers is awesome. And if you ask my family, they'll tell you I can actually cook meat very well without tasting it. So I dropped a LinkedIn message to our guest today a few weeks ago and asked her if she would like to come and showcase the organization here. She asked me back, do I have to pay to play? And I said, absolutely not. And here we are. So our guest today is a deep background in AOL, which, by the way, was the first job I interviewed for and worked one day up in Maryland before I headed up to the Northeast to get to PepsiCo. And Alibaba, we haven't had we haven't had much conversation on the show about Alibaba, so maybe we'll have a little bit today. Join us in welcoming the co-CEO of Actual Veggies, Haley Schwartz. Haley, welcome. How you doing? Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Has New York City warmed up yet? It did warm up, and now it's cold again. So I need to get out of here. Yeah, it's now it's we, we're now back to fifty-eight degrees and raining. So. Ryan and I, at the time of this recording, were both in the city, which is yesterday at the time of this recording, and it was 65 degrees. We were there for a unique moment, uh, something to do with my daughter, which I haven't mentioned on the show, so I will. So my daughter is APHM May Spotify Artist of the Month, and she is on the billboard on Times Square, and what a special moment for me as I was able to go there live and take pictures with her with the board of Spotify in the background. So, um, Haley, welcome. Glad to have you join us today, but before I get to the questions and we do the back and forth with the conversation, can you share for audience just a brief overview of who is Actual Veggies? Sure. Um, Actual Veggies is a veggie burger company that was started in, I guess we launched in January 2021. We launched to create thick cut, naturally colorful veggie burgers. They all taste like their primary ingredient and we have four veggie burgers that we launched with the actual orange burger, which is sweet potato, the actual black burger, which is black bean, the actual green burger, which is kale and broccoli, and the actual purple burger, that's beef. Uh, Most recently, we also launched veggie balls. And yeah, we are available in about 2,500 doors nationwide. 
I don't know about the other CPG guys, but one CPG guy would love samples. So we'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, Actual Veggies LinkedIn page, and of course your corporate site in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode so that the 90 plus percent of people listening to this episode, which is via mobile device, can easily learn more as they listen. So let me get us going and let me ask you the first question and we go from there. So Haley, I mentioned that your career is elite brands in your background, but you decided to be an entrepreneur at the end of the day, no greater place than Manhattan to do that. Take us to the years at AOL, Alibaba, you co-founded Strata, tell us about what that is. And now you're co-CEO and co-founder of Actual Veggies. And then finally, what advice would you give to someone early in their career in this space, seeking to follow in your footsteps from corporate to entrepreneurship? Sure. So my career, like everyone's, I think is not as linear as is expected, except when you look back at it and then you see where everything led to. Um, It was a lot of fun. I started at AOL because I lost my job. My first job before I even started, it was September 2008. I was supposed to do marketing for a hedge fund. And the hedge fund, I think, went under or whatever. They laid me off before I started. I was desperate for a job. I was in New York City. It was 2008. And I realized I had done uh, digital uh, advertising sales at the Michigan Daily University of Michigan, uh, where I went to school. And I, at the last minute, I got this job um, at a company called, at the time, Platform A. And my first day that I was there, they were acquired by AOL. Uh, AOL was a super fun place to work because it was always changing. And it sort of felt like a startup itself. I it was young. It was chaotic. Uh, there was a lot of room to learn, but there was also a lot of room to do. And I sort of became a champion of the brand. I quickly moved over from the advertising side to the, the owned and operated consumer brand. So the AOL homepage, the brands that we bought from Huffington Post at the time, uh, Kitchen Daily. And and I really got to see you know how an audience engaged with the audience with our platform. And it was a lot of fun. And, to be, and it was... I, I did a lot. And for being so young, it, like I said, because it was so chaotic, it was actually a very cool experience. And I think from that chaos and that ability to do, I really wanted to be in the startup environment. And I actually not, you didn't mention, but I went to a company called Evolution, which helped, which is a startup itself that helped big brands work with early stage startups. So that was my foray into the startup community. And I'm going to talk about, uh, I'll talk later about what I recommend if you know you want to get in a startup, but the, uh, just keep that in mind um, as I got in the startup community from that. And I sort of went back and forth between consulting for big companies and and then going to like startups. I never actually worked um, on an operational startup until this one. But uh, the, the next big job I had was at Alibaba. But it was actually at the time, it was this company called OpenSky that was uh, just had just been acquired by uh, Alibaba. They were a B2C marketplace and Alibaba came to them and said, we're trying to understand the SMB who's sourcing from China. Can you guys help us do this consulting project, help us understand the products and services they need to source from China because we want to build our our services around them. And so quickly, the CEO of OpenSky at the time didn't want, wanted to keep the OpenSky team as is. Um, he was in my network. He reached out to be a consultant. I was consultant number one of that team. And we quickly grew to about 100 people in, in one and a half years and became AccuHires to start Alibaba North America. So we were all the, all day, we were doing two things. One, we were trying to build products and services to help SMBs source from China. And on the other side, enabling anyone in the world to be a supplier. 
Uh, it was really interesting. And what was really cool and gave me my itch is I got to talk to people who are building physical products all day long. And it seemed like they were having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. To answer your second question about how, you know, I, I some advice if you want to go from the, like the, you know, big corporation to the startup world, I think, you know, offering yourself, you know, first of all, continue, I think always network, you know, I've always been good at that. I've been good at keeping in touch with old colleagues. You find most people seem to go back and forth between startups and, and, and corporations. There's, there is, and at times there's a lot of similarities. So you obviously want to keep your network open, start going to events where there's going to be people at startups. I think something that you have to be able to do is take risks. So when I went to from AOL to evolution, I offered to work for three months for free. And I said, if, if I show my value, can you pay me back after those three months? And they did. And then they paid me going forward. So I think if you're able to take those small risks and really understand, you know, do calculated risk, I, that's something that I would advise. Excellent. So, uh, so now you've, uh, you've gone corporate, you've gone the entrepreneurship side. We've got that. We've got, we've got that part of the origin story. So now let's, uh, let's get to the superhero movie here. So, uh, so how did actual veggies come about? Where did, uh, tell us a little bit about you your, and uh, your co-founder, how you met, how you thought about the role division between the two of you. And then also, you know, for a product like this, especially one that's trying to tackle, you know, vegetarian burgers in sort of what I might call a non-traditional way. What's the role that uh, sort of education and uh, education and content, what, what roles does that play in the brand's overall sort of mission? Sure. So super interesting. Uh, my co-founder, G- I, Tree, I'm, I'm, you're going to be upset about this, but I'm actually, this is a big surprise. I'm not a vegetarian. Um, I eat everything. I eat, I'm eating a lot of veggies. No, no. I know. Am I yes. kicked off the, the podcast now? Omnivore's <laughs> um, rule. Um, yeah, I do eat a very veggie, veggie forward diet, but, um, I'm very much about moderation, eating clean. Uh, my co-founder, Jason, this is a product created for him. He had stopped eating meat in, uh, early 2019 and was basically looking to replace his favorite food, the meat burger, and realized while there's a lot of products out there that tasted good, um, they weren't good for him. And the number one reason he was going to eat less, he was trying to stop eating meat was for health. And so he needed a solution. Um, on the other side, it was weird. There hadn't been really in any innovation in the veggie burger space. You know, 20 years, the same like frozen, what we call, like to call like say like hockey pucks of a product and really nothing that would make you say, Ooh, this is like getting me excited about a center of the plate option. So, you know, you could go to a restaurant, you can have a really good veggie burger. I think meat eaters and vegetarians can agree about that, but you can't find that in the grocery store. So he came to me and he said, here's the problem. And I said, that can't, that I, there, I could not believe that a solution did not exist because it just seems so obvious that there wasn't a good veggie burger in market. But the more work I did on looking at the competitors in the space, it really seemed like there was nothing there that was true to itself and also, and really tasted like veggies. At the same time, beyond and impossible, we're educating consumers about the, the, the importance of eating less meat from both an environmental and a health reason. And yet their solution wasn't at the time and still, some would say, not meeting it from a health perspective. So uh, we joined together. Fascinatingly enough, we started the company in March 2020. People always say, wow, that must have been horrible. To be honest, I 
my brother, sorry, I just said to be honest. And my brother keeps on, my brother's one of my co-founders and he keeps on making fun of me for saying to be honest all the time. So <laughs> caught myself. But anyways. We'll assume everything else you said was honest too. So don't worry. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> Everything's honest. I'm a very honest person. Um, so we started the company in March, 2020. And it actually was a, a really great time to start a company. People are like, how did you do that? It was, we're a lot, be able to be a lot more efficient we raised our first money online. We talked to our first buyers. We sold our first product all online. It's actually been re-engaging into the real world where we have to travel and get to meet people in real life. That's been more of the challenge. But I felt really lucky that we didn't have that infrastructure in place before we started. Uh, the cool thing, uh, when I just mentioned my brother, so him and I had always wanted to start a company together. And so I had told him about this idea and I, he was going to put some cash in and I was going to put in sweat equity. What was great is because it was COVID time, he was, he was able to start working from home. And all of a sudden, he was spending more and, more and more time helping with us. He has a background in operations. He was at BP Oil and he was able to advise and invite. Fast forward three years, my brother is our third co-founder and he's our COO. So it's been really great, um, really special. It feels like a family business. Uh, Jason, Alex, and myself, and then our, our small team. Uh, so you asked the question of how Jason and I, I um, divide and conquer. So at first, we thought we were going to be different than everyone else. We said, we could do everything together. This is how we work. We're so, we need to be in every single meeting together. I don't understand why founders don't do this. It's really good to be able to bounce things off of each other. So. That is not true. Conventional wisdom tells you you really need to keep people in your lane. And surprisingly, we didn't know better than every other successful group of co-founders. Today, I lead sales and marketing. I, I'm building relationships. I love, I love talking to people. My, I always say my job is LinkedIn, Slack, text, and, and Zoom. Like I, that's what I'm doing all day. I'm, I'm just talking to as many people as possible, helping people as much as possible, uh, whether that's partners, whether that's other brands in the space, uh, buyers who are looking for a specific pro product. I'm just talking to people all day long. Jason's focusing on innovation. Uh, he focuses on our financials. And then my brother focuses on operations. The, the last question you guys asked, which I think is a really funny and interesting one, is how, like, the education piece of this. Never in a million years, okay, ten, well, maybe a million years, 10 years ago, you would have never guessed that you would have to, when someone said, when I said I had a veggie burger company, you would have to say, oh, it doesn't taste like meat. When you go to the expos and people come to our booth, they go, this product doesn't taste like meat. So the funny thing is that we've had it come against is how do we explain that as a veggie burger, we actually are not trying to taste like meat, but instead the veggies in our product. So we spend a lot of time and visuals using people, using, using uh, marketing to explain we are a vegetable. Anyone can eat us. If you like vegetables, you're going to love our product. It's filling. It's delicious. And it's good for everyone, even if, you know, you don't like meat or you don't like the taste of meat. How, uh, how interesting. So sticking on that topic, as a female leader trying to grow and compete with, I would say, giants in the space. How does your everyday thinking go? What drives you? What like what metrics or KPIs or what constitutes success? And then how are you starting to interact with retail? Because at the end of the day, your success is directly proportional to the distribution you get. Yeah. So I think as a female founder, 
we tend to be more honest. Uh, we tend to we tend to be a little more timid, and we're, we're we 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 tend to be sometimes a little more uh, pessimistic and 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 careful. So that's something that I've really worked on um, is is trusting my own self and and making decisions and moving forward instead of getting in this decision paralysis. Especially as a young company, you don't always know what's right, but you just have to make a decision. And that's something I personally have gotten a, a lot better at. I've been confident with my decisions. I stand up for myself and I walk into a room and I remind myself that I deserve a seat at the table. It's really interesting because big brands are coming to us and, and trying to understand what we're doing, trying to partner with us. And I, I see that as a, a, a reminder that, again, we, we, we can innovate faster. We, we belong at the table. Um, I'm trying to remember your last, your other question. Uh, when I, my favorite part about the job is thinking through win, win, win solutions. So I, I spend a lot of time talking to retailers and understanding their needs. Uh, for example, the, the, the online retailer, Hungry Root, they, I asked them, you know, what products are, are in your space are you guys looking for? And they were the ones who told me about these veggie balls. They, these veggie balls that we just launched with Hunger Root and that we're going to get to market are the best thing you've ever had. They just, you know, there's, they're veggie meatballs. They taste like the veggies in them. They can be snacks. They can be going to taco. They can go on a salad. They can go to pasta. And the reason we created them is because I built a relationship with my buyer and he told me there was a need for this in the market. So I really like to work with the buyers to understand what they need. Um, additionally, uh, against big brands, I think something that's interesting is how do I help the grocery store uh, sell? So something I love to do with the grocery store is say, you know, let's do bundles of products uh, that you guys have maybe not put together. So if you have a private label bun and we have our veggie burger and, you know, some potatoes or salad or whatever it might be, let's put that all together and let's sell that as a bundle. And that kind of thing is interesting because they get to show that they're working with a, a young startup, but also they're driving sales of their own products, which is a goal of theirs. Uh, because when you're doing something like that, you know you don't have to have the same marketing budget that these big companies have, and you can do these a lot faster because you're you're more nimble and innovative. Yeah, I'm going to weep with joy, by the way, because the, the the number of conversations I've had with brands over the last many many years, I've been doing this to get them to embrace private label and adjacent categories as a way to promote their own brand. And just, I was like, Oh no, we hate private label, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's such a gut reaction from a big company to not, to not think that way. So I love the way in which you're maybe even without knowing it, subverting some of the mindsets and the expectations. And like, it's really good to see gaps in the market because often those gaps exist because people have historic blind spots about things and uh, being able to exploit those is really cool. So, um, so um, all right, well, now, now we're really going to get to the hardcore purpose of what we're doing here, which is making sure Shree knows what he's going to eat for dinner. So uh, let's, let's do a deep dive into the, uh, into the portfolio choices that the consumers got with you. Uh, what, what makes your products unique? Why is it better? Like, here's your, uh, here's, here's your moment. So Shree, take, take notes. She will be on a diet today because I'm actually on a red-eye flight to Florida. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I think Shree should actually talk to, should give the descriptions because he's such a fan of the products. I think he could probably do it just as good as me. But yeah, so we, like I mentioned at the, at the beginning, we have, well, now we have uh, five veggie burgers. Uh, they all taste like their primary ingredients. 
uh, the actual black burger, which is black bean. And ma- so it's, it's a black bean burger. It's made with uh, red peppers, carrots, onions, and spices and oats. There's nothing else in it. There's no oils. There's no fillers. There's no, there's no preservatives. And each of the other burgers are the same. So they're color-based. So our, our primary four veggie burgers are all color-based and taste like their primary ingredient. Uh, the actual green burger is kale and broccoli. The actual orange is sweet potato. And the actual purple is beet. And then most recently, we just launched an act, the actual truffle burger, which is available in select grocery stores, which is a truffle uh, mushroom veggie burger. And then, as I mentioned, I also mentioned these before, these veggie balls, which I'm so excited about. Like the amount of time, I'm literally eating these veggie balls for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, they're great as a snack. They're, they're great, uh, like I said, in a bowl uh, as a protein, however you want to do it. And one of them is we have a shiitake mushroom one. We have an eggplant one. We have a, a sweet potato one and a southwestern uh, black bean one. And what's really cool about these is they're really great for food service. So just a little plug there if you're a food service client and you're looking for some veggie balls. Um, we are having a lot of fun with those partnerships. The last thing that's that's a little interesting that we have, and you know, this is something we're still innovating on and struggling with is is something that came out of an April Fool's joke, actually. Our social media intern turned one of our burgers into a fruit burger. And she turned it blue. And he said, the actual blue burger has just been announced. And the comments went crazy. Everyone's like, I want to eat this. So our our chef and our R&D chef went in and he made our burger into a blue breakfast burger. And it is so good. It's blueberries, acai, dates, seeds, no added sugar, and banana and cauliflower. And it sort of tastes like an acai bowl meets a burger. Uh, there's a little there's a little education level that we're trying to figure out and get people over. over. Um, and we might be relaunching this as something else, just putting that out there as a little tidbit. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting. And what's happening is parents are feeding it to their children as, an, an, as a replacement of waffles because it's no added sugar, it's really easy to make, and you just you can put a little honey, granola, yogurt on it, and it, it's super good. Like I mentioned, samples always welcome at least in one CP for one CP. You're getting samples in exchange for not making me pay to be honest. <laughs> Let me remind the audience that we're speaking with Haley Schwartz, co-CEO and co-founder of Actual Veggies. So now we're going to get a little bit into execution, Haley, and try to understand how y'all are going to market and then talking to consumers, et cetera. So in the last three years, what's clear is the world is omni-channel. Not that it wasn't before, but it feels like brands have really caught up and understood what the omni-channel world is. So in that world where the digital reach of food has exploded in the last three years, what are y'all doing at, um, at the company to stay ahead? And then are they specific communication vehicles? I naively call it advertising methods, but I, are they communication vehicles that you've noticed that are driving wins for you and the brand? Sure. So I actually am so excited to talk about this um, because I think we have a very unique strategy here. So D2C for a frozen or refrigerated company is really difficult. It's hard to send people products. It's expensive. Um, when you think about doing paid advertising and driving people to your site, it's expensive. So instead, uh, what we've done is we've we've leveraged the the e-retailers. We're in almost every e-retailer out there. So we work with Blue Apron and Hungry Root, Purple Carrot, uh, Butcher Box, which is actually a premium meat company. And 
what happened QVC and what happens is what they they are this is B2B so we're sending our product to them and then they're they're shipping it to their audiences and what that allows us to do is it allows us to leverage the communities that they've built to test our products and become super fans of them so we're in our, our the Facebook group of purple carrot which is a, a premium v- vegan uh, delivery site and the, like one of our best partners and you're just watching people say I use the orange burger on this salad and I did this. I love actual veggies and it's all branded. And, but really I'm, 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 I'm leveraging their, their very close community that they've built because it's harder for me to build a community when it's, it, when D to C doesn't work as much with us. So when I see QVC audiences and they're, they're using our product and butcher box, which is a meat eating company and they're using our veggie burger as a side. And it really, all these different communities of different people. Now I'm getting a reach um, without doing so much of my own D to C. So that's been a really unique strategy for us. And, and most of, I would say not only for testing products, but for finding online communities that become, that become very engaged with us. That's excellent. So, uh, so look, you're, you're obviously on your, on your path to trying to be a trailblazer here. And um, I'd be curious to how you think about sort of what your one year goals and your, and how you set a three year strategy. And I guess I have a sort of a question about like, how locked in do you get to that? Like when, I mean, I know it's still relatively new, but you've been around for a couple of years. Like you've been setting one year and three year goal strategies. How tight in do you get to those? And how do you, how do you, how do you define success uh, for what you've got going beyond the 2,500 doors that you've already got? Yeah. So I think you guys will laugh um, as much more, having much more experience in the industry. Our first year, we tried to go as fast as possible to as many doors as possible, regardless of if it was our core audience. And we went in really fast to conventional. We went in to places in, that probably don't even know what a veggie burger is. And we realized really soon that that's, that's not going to work for scaling. So this year, so if we say, so that was, I would say about a year and a half ago, we decided, no, we want to take a much more strategic approach and sort of pull back and really can focus on the natural doors that are going to be our core partners. So, um, you know, uh, Whole Foods and Whole Foods were actually launching in July, which I was going to announce at the end, uh, and Wegmans and Fresh Market and Heinen's and Fresh Time and all these partners that have really been good partners to us. Uh, my goal only for this year, I'm not even thinking about the number of doors in there. I'm thinking about how how many units, if we can build, if we can double the amount of our velocity. So how many units we can, uh, extra units we can get per store, per SKU. And that's all I care about. Like when I, when I talk to my, we have one salesperson. When I talk to her, it's she, her only goal is to increase velocity. And that's really, it's really hard, but like I'm saying no to a lot of conventional accounts and just focusing on building our brand and the accounts that really make sense for us. Yeah. So like I said, that's our one-year strategy. When I think about our three-year strategy, I'm hoping at that point that we can go, we can be in, you know, all the big doors, um, you know, thinking like Target and Costco and um, more conventional space, but I really want to build that brand awareness um, before we're there. So I want to kind of go back to the omni-channel question I asked you about a little while ago. Um, and you mentioned D2C is not viable. I think that's pretty clear. D2C isn't viable, especially because this is the cold fill refrigerated frozen space. But um, your partnership on the 2,500 store doors across several retailers, the consumer still, even at those retailers, is omni-channel today. So I'll bring my question 
to that context. What are y'all doing at the company to help in that relationship with retailers to drive that omnichannel consumers, even if it's to the store? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, we are investing a lot of our money in um, in direct in in purchase per, uh, products. So like right, like where meeting people on the shelf, and that also can mean digital shelf. So we're thinking on Instagram, can we boost our our placements or you know work with their team on search and whatever that looks like our paid media. Uh, any partner, any of our grocery stores that have an online. Uh, website, I'm going to be focusing on on doing paid media there. And then from our brand awareness perspective, we are doing influencer outreach. Uh, we are not paying our influencers right now, but we, we do send uh, packages, you know, a certain amount each month. And what we, we work with a, pro- a program called Isle, which is focusing on driving, helping influencers drive people to the store. So, you know, the, the, inf- the person can get a text message that when they're at the store, they take a picture of their receipt and then they get paid back um, as part of that. But everything we're focusing on is, like I said, it, like you said, it's, it's it's digital and then and back and back to the store. Brian and I may know of another company where you take your picture of the receipt and you may get paid back, but we won't talk about that today. So um, no one can be successful trying to build a startup without humans and talent, and uh, you need right leaders who eventually have to feel like this is their brand and be brand stewards. In your eyes, what makes a good leader? Like what's in their DNA? And then how do they connect with you as being someone on the leadership? And um, how does this cause the leadership to show up as brand equity growth for the company? And can I build on that question just a little bit too? If you could compare and contrast a little bit the attributes of a good leader in an environment like the one you're in now, Versus in a more conventional, traditional, larger environment, what are what are some of the important differences that you that you see as a as a as an entrepreneurial leader versus a, a more traditional one? I'm sure there's some overlap, obviously, but cur- I'd be curious for the differences as well. Yeah, so it's interesting. Well, high level, none of, I will say none of us have CPG experience, so it's really important to get some specialists around us um, that know the space. And then I think. Everyone has to be a doer at this point. We're expecting people who not only are a doer, but when instead of like asking what the problem is, they're finding a problem that they're trying to solve. So it's just like, sometimes it's just like, do something, do something at marketing. Like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what to do, but just do something. And it's like, figure out what that is. So I want to see people who are doers and I want to see people who are scrappy because we are, we're only five people right now is on five full time employees and we're all going from making really big decisions to really small decisions. And I think that that importance is really good. When I think the difference between working at a big company and a small company is you have to you're you don't have to be as polished um, with sharing. So I think when I was at a big company, I spent so much time putting together ducks to explain to the executive team what was going on and and synthesizing it in a way that could be passed around. Whereas at this point, you know, we're going to have like weekly meetings where everyone's in and they're going to just share what they're doing. So that allows you to move a lot faster. At the same time, there's not as much of a record of decisions that are made and there's not as many like processes in place. So sometimes like I, I like have this moment. I'm like, oh my God, like, like 
we don't even have a CRM. Like, where's our CRM? Everyone's doing their own thing. They have their notes. They have their paper, whatever. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, at a big company, you would never allow, that would never happen. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the scrappiness lets us move a lot faster. You'd be you'd be surprised surprised the degree to which tools exist at big companies that nobody has any understanding or awareness of. So uh, I I find your optimism inspirational. Um, so. Um, so the d- different different sort of problems. So uh so yeah, and I yeah, I thought I that was great. And um so yeah, so um I guess we're getting close to the end here because for you and me, because we're East Coast, this is uh, we're recording this at close to dinner time and you've now made me phenomenally hungry, if nothing else. <laughs> if you're hungry, you can only eat a veggie burger or now we know that you can have those veggie balls or snacks. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to listen to this conversation at half an hour and you know, go get a steak sandwich. That was uh, that wasn't the that wasn't the idea. So, uh, so um, um, yeah, we we can we after the recording, you can tell me exactly which Whole Foods store you're in in New Jersey, so I can go find it. Not yet, July, July. <laughs> so far. Um, anyway, last question is always uh, always sort of a fast forward one. So, because uh, and that's my podcast coming soon. Um, so, um, what's next for you and uh, actual veggies, and then? Obviously, the key question, um, if not at Whole Foods until July, how can our audience today find your brand and uh, taste some of these delightful products? Yeah, so it, things are going so fast. It, it's so insane. We are having so much fun. Um, we, like I said, what's next? We're launching in Whole Foods. And that's, that's where all hands are on board when we think about that. Um, additionally, we're focusing on food service. So we've just launched with some really cool um, fast casual burger chains. Or in Pincho, which is in uh, about a 20, 20 store chain in Miami. Um, we are in Plant Burger, um, which is a plant based burger chain here. Next Level Burger, which is a, which is a plant based burger chain here. And we're just really growing with all of our, our our partners in the food service space. So that's really exciting. And you can find us. Let's see, Wegmans, Fresh Market, Mothers, uh, Ralph's, Kroger. Let's see. Heinen's, I think I mentioned that. You could go to our, our website, actualveggies.com slash shop, and you can find us in there and see what's closest to you. Can we go back to innovation just a tad before we wrap up here, which is um, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the portfolio that one of the ways um, you do innovation is you talk to actual buyers. Can you tell us a little bit more about the pipeline? Do you guys look out like one year, two years, what you want to put out? Are you innovating on the fly? It's a little bit of both. Um, I think when we think through, we like to see what's working and then build on that. So if we see one skew that's really, you know, lagging, we're going to see how we can optimize that. And then at the same time, there's sort of this backlog of things that we think about um, that might be like, let's say, like a, a shelf, a shelf. What's the word I'm looking for? A shelf stable product. Sorry about that. Shelf stable product. Um, we're not going to focus on that. So right now, the rule really is if it's not, it doesn't belong in the freezer in the meat section or the plant-based meat section um, or the refrigerator in the plant-based uh, section, then we're not going to make it. Um, but we do have this, this backlog of things that we think about. Um, but those are really our guardrails that it has to be with the same category manager. Because you see too often that people go into other categories and it becomes really hard to build all those relationships and relationships and maintain them across the store. And then are you usually asked for a multi-year plan of an innovation pipeline or when you talk to retail, it's typically, hey, if you walk in with one product, 
that's good for now. We'll come back and chat about another one another time. Yeah, it's it's more um, they want they really you know we always add an innovation pipeline to the back, but really they're focusing on the one product that we're bringing to the table. We do see that we we never want to just bring one skew, so we're going to bring different flavors um, so that they can see how it all. Because I think the best way to tell the story is to have you know at least three of the the skews on on the shelf together. So um, in that case, you know something we'll offer a lot of times is here's like our three best sellers. If there's a, a flavor that you want to work on with us, but it's in this form this format, then we would be open to doing that as an exclusive with you, which is something that's a lot of fun. Understood. Thank you. So let me remind our audience that you can find all our content by simply going to a web browser and typing cpgguys.com as the URL. And if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, the email is contact at cpgguys.com, and maybe you can join us on the podcast just like Haley did. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com. It's up top on the navigation bar on the top of our website. Thank you for the 20, nearly 22K plus followers on LinkedIn. We know we wouldn't be a podcast without y'all. This is amazing that y'all have showed up every day for us and have actually given us ratings when I asked you to, and you shape who comes on the show and what we talk about. So we sincerely appreciate the followership. Haley, thank you for joining us today at short notice. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Brian, it's that time of the episode where you get to have fun and tell us what we learned today. Uh, so this will probably be shorter than normal because I'm now starving. So I'm so going to cut it to no. Um, Juan Haley, also, thank you very much for your time and your insights and uh, just sharing your experience. It was really it's tremendous to hear. There's a couple of things that jumped out to me. I thought it was fascinating that, you know, the two big dates you mentioned from a career transition point of view were September of 2008 in the financial services industry and March of 2020. And um, it's like, Ordinarily, not happy days for most people. If uh, if they're those might be the low point on the career path. I mean, I I, I echo some of this. I, I also changed jobs in March of 2020 for the first time in 23 years. Started a new job on March 9th, 2020, which was weird. So um, so yeah. So but I love the fact that you found a way in both of those situations to you know pivot in one case uh, career wise, and then also you found the advantages in it. Like the and I think that's. To me, anyway, having grown up in a pretty small enterprise that we built into a bigger one, finding the advantages and disadvantages is so important, right? It's always like the, you know, it's like it's like the Steven Spielberg and Jaws thing, right? Like the reason that Jaws doesn't appear until halfway through the movie, which is totally awesome, is because they couldn't get the shark to work. But then they figured out how to turn that into actually one of the great, uh, one of one of the great horror movie sort of uh, tropes of all time, which was keeping the monster hidden for the early part of the movie. So. Uh, so uh, I like the I like the Jaws approach. Um, I love the way that you talked about the role clarity and the experiment you had of thinking that it was better to do it all together and then realizing that both from a capabilities point of view, clarity point of view, and also simply from a bandwidth point of view, that's just not really manageable. And I think it's a really good lesson for people that are trying to grow into that startup thing, which is that you really do need a team of people around you. Um, so, um, and as a person right now as a sole proprietor, I, I, I going to listen to myself there. Um, I thought your, I thought your, uh, your insights onto the, you know, the typical, the things you need to quote overcome as a female founder, I thought were really interesting. Um, 
you know, I, I thought I thought the fact that being too honest was a really <laughs> one quite possibly true, and also just uh, an interesting way to look at that. And that I think the uh, you know the typical male founder will approach a shortcoming with uh, with exaggeration rather than direct honesty. So I, actually, the honesty piece is really good, to be honest. Um, and also, um, so shout out to your brother. <laughs> I thought the um, and then I, I thought the idea of partnering with private label, which I mentioned while you were talking, um, was a really big one in terms of being able to turn something which isn't being done to not say, well, if it's not being done, it shouldn't be done. Like, and I think that's one of the great things about entrepreneurial spirit that, to be honest, anybody can do. It just so rarely gets done. It's so hard for people that live in a day in day out reality to uh, to adapt it given uh, given what they see. But all the real the stuff about the product itself was amazing. That blueberry burger for breakfast sounds terrific, um, and uh, and a lot of the really smart thinking on the omni channel side, the D to C side, using food service, and again, just all overcoming one what might be a disadvantage, which is the difficulty of a D to C model in the temp controlled world and kind of finding the upside opportunity of it. So I thought this was a really terrific embodiment of entrepreneurial thinking that even for most of our listeners who are not entrepreneurs, I really think they can use. So really thank you for your time. Thank you for that, Brian. Thank you, Haley, for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. And um, that's a wrap for this episode. We will see you soon on another episode of the CPG guys. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.